Hey everyone, this is Jim. Welcome back to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. And today I want to talk about the feeling that a lot of us deal with that we are missing out. Um, I go back, as far back as I look in my own life, I can remember just times and instances where it felt like I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. What I mean by that is, um, have you ever, let me just rewind the, the script for a bit. Think back to the days when you were a teenager. Was there ever a night, maybe on a weekend or something, Friday night, where there was nothing to do, you couldn't get in touch with any of your friends or none of them were available and you just sat there doing something you really didn't want to be doing feeling like you were missing out you know what that remember what that feeling was like the thoughts that there were people somewhere having a good time and laughing and and enjoying um, whatever they were enjoying but you were just separated from them you were on the outside looking in and maybe there wasn't even anything actually going on. See, that's the thing. A lot of times we believe that there's something better somewhere else, somewhere other than where we're at currently in life. And 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 that comes with great discontentment. And there are other things also. Um, we can apply that not only to events, but to just about everything in our lives. We can look at where we're living And then we see other people maybe that have, uh, you know, a a nicer home or live in a nicer area. There's just things that we see and they're not in our own experience and we wish they were. And then when we look at what we have, sometimes we become very discontent by our our situation. I think that that this is one of the things that has caused such failure in marriages. Um as time has gone on, because I noticed that in earlier times, people seemed to live much simpler lives. In other words, today, think about all of the things that you could do tonight um, that's a form of recreation. But if you go back 50 or 60 years ago, the number of things that people had to do or that had available to them were much smaller uh, amount of things. Maybe somebody in the country wished that they lived in the city because in the city you could see a show, uh, you could go to a movie or whatever. Or maybe somebody who could only afford a radio back in the 1930s. Um, I can't remember when television, I think television, um, let me, let me check. Let me do a quick search on this. Somewhere in the 50s, I think, is when the first TV sets came out. Okay, so it looks like sometime before 1947, according to this, that the number of homes with uh, TV sets could be measured by the thousands. So let's say you were alive back in the early 40s, um, but you didn't have a television. So you listen to the, the radio. That's where you got your news. That's where your entertainment came through, radio shows. But then you knew somebody who, who had a television in their house, and there's this discontent possibly that could have set in. And now you, you look at what we have today, and, I mean, there's, there's so much. Um, I mean, we have hundreds of television stations, 
thousands upon thousands of movies are released every year, and a lot of them you can get for free. Um, The cars that we drive are more high-tech than ever before. I mean, you can control the AC on the uh, passenger side different than you have on the um, driver's side, and likewise the same with heat. You have power seats. You have uh, GPS navigation. Even if your car doesn't have all of these extras, they're all out there, and you've probably driven in a car where they had them. But you know what it is. It's like when you when something is outside of your grasp, it's more desirable. And then once you have it within your grasp, it becomes um, commonplace after some time. Not everything, but most things do. And your relationship with that thing becomes different. So the... Um, whether it's an expensive pair of whatever or an expensive item, you know, once it's in your possession, you you may feel a, a sense of contentment. But you notice that that just doesn't seem to last. And not necessarily that you're discontent about a lot of things, but we see it a lot today. And you know what it's like from an early age. That's why I went back to that example of being in high school and but this applies to other areas too. I believe it apply, applies to relationships. People become discontent with their their person they chose as their partner for life, or they become discontent with their job, and it just goes on and on. So more people today are depressed, and the thing is, we have more things to um, entertain us now than ever before. We have access as technology has become cheaper to things that your great grandparents probably never even dreamed of. And so when you look at the Bible and you look at the lives that these um, people lived, God's people, yeah, you can look at a few of them. You can look at somebody like a Moses who led an entire nation or an Abraham. And I mean, they had their own problems. Yeah, they were wealthy. Some of the wealthiest people in, in the land among the top, that's for sure. But what really did that wealth buy them? back then. Did they have running water? No. Um, Did they have the convenient bathrooms and air-conditioned places like we have today? No. Uh, Did they have the movies and, and, I mean, computers? You you get the point. So somebody who is maybe living in middle-class America today has more quote-unquote wealth, at least it would have been in the eyes of those people, if you, if they saw what you had. They probably would have given everything just to have those types of conveniences. Well, maybe not everything, but, but you understand the point. So the, the, the issue of discontentment is, goes much deeper than what we have or what we don't have. We're living in a fallen world, and the God of heaven, according to 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, and the God of this world are two different individuals. So sometimes people say, well, you know, God just, God's in control of everything. Well, according to the Bible, he isn't. Now I know I'm not trying to say that God's not almighty and all powerful. He is all those things. But relative to the situation, the rules that we find ourselves governed by in this world, the situation that that we're in, the game that we're playing, there are obvious rules that are in place. We don't understand them all. But we can see just by observation that there's a certain uh, balance to what evil can do and what it can't do. Because if it could do whatever it wanted to do, it would just wipe out everybody and there'd be nobody left. So on the other hand, we have 
the promises of God, the blessings. We have the good news that Jesus came to bring. And he plainly said that his kingdom wasn't of this world. And so we're not looking to make this world heaven on earth, so to speak, because there's a heaven of heaven where God lives. And depending on your, your interpretation of the scripture, um, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So whether that literally means this physical location that we're in now will be renewed or that this whole board will be wiped clean and there will be a new location created from scratch in which God will dwell with his people, or whether it's a combination of the two. We don't understand that exactly. And if you say you do, you're probably deceiving yourself, right? Because we, we, we know in part, the Bible says, and we prophesy in part. Now we see things as a shadow, but then we'll, we'll know face to face. So um, I look at this um, discontent principle, and I think it's a good thing that you not, if you were totally content with everything down here, it would be like you would love the world. For example, if you were suddenly in heaven, God pulled you out of your body, you walked around heaven, all things being equal, um, you wouldn't want to come back here because everything you would need and then some would be there. There'd be no more crying, there'd be no more sad days, there'd be no more aches and pains, there'd be no more tiredness. You would be totally content. And so the Bible says if anyone loves this world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, you can't have the Spirit of God in you and still love this world. I'm talking about the world system. I'm talking about the way things are governed, the way they are here. There's, an, there's a knowing among everybody, even those who don't believe, that there's, things are wrong, that this is not the way things should be. There's a knowing inside. I think all of creation is aware of that, and there's a few scriptures that point to that. But now let's look at it from a practical standpoint, okay? It says, for example, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Well, I don't know about you, but I grew up in an Italian-American family household, and food was a big deal. Matter of fact, even with my friends now, a lot of our conversation will be about where you can get a certain type of food. Because um, if you've been alive for 30 or 40 years or more, you already know that the food that we're eating today doesn't taste as good as it did in the past. Whether it's because the farming has changed and or all the antibiotics they pump into animals and chickens and cows and, you know, I don't want to get into that, but you know that things are, are not as fresh as they used to be. Um, even the organic isn't as good. But anyway, Jesus says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? So if you take food out of your day, let's say you didn't need it, and you take clothes out of the equation, let's say, um, okay, these are just things you don't have to focus on because you have what you need. It says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not much value, much more value than they? So there you can say about being content with what you have because God's not going to abandon you. He doesn't abandon the birds. He's not going to abandon you. You're more valuable even than they are. Everything I believe that God has created is of value to him. 
but he's putting this in a human perspective. If we had to make a scale, you're more the birds, they're not starving. God's taking care of them. Even though they don't have pantries to store their food in, or they don't have things to put away in case of time of famine, God will show them where they need to go so that they can eat. They will not go extinct. So, you're much more valuable than that. Your Heavenly Father will feed you. He'll take care of you. He'll make sure you have food to eat. He'll make sure you have clothes to wear. Now, look at somebody like the Apostle Paul, who went through lots of tests and trials. And in 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, around verses 23 or 24 in that area, um, he said that he was, um, he was flogged, he was beaten with, with 40 lash, 39 lashes, he was beaten with rods, one time he was stoned, um, he was involved in three shipwrecks, and he spent a night and a day in the open sea. I mean, just think about that. Imagine that you're floating in the sea. You're in the sea because you're too far from land to swim there. Maybe you can't even see where the land is. Maybe you're wondering if you're going to drown in the sea because you don't spend a night and a day in the sea when a boat is within reach. Maybe you're just on like a parts of the ship, you know, you're obviously he couldn't tread water for 24 hours. So he was on something. And then you know that there's sharks and other th- I mean, there's just a, a number of things that could go wrong, right, when you're in the sea overnight, when it gets dark out even. So, uh, and beaten with rods, I mean, that's got to be very, very painful. And the bruising and the aches and the pains, even if God heals you supernaturally after the beating, um, which, of course, God raised him up after he was stoned. But even then, just going through it, I mean— just the, the thought of that is, where, you know, what am I doing wrong? Most of us would think that. What am I doing wrong? And, and you plug that event into your life, and what does it create? It creates discontent. You look at somebody else and you think, well, other people aren't going through this. You know, other people are living good. A lot of the people that um, Paul preached to were living uh, better than he was because he had a, a satanic uh, creature he talks about him and an angel of Satan that was sent to buffet him. And so he went from one, and that word buffet there means to str- like to strike with a fist. And you can see here that this spirit caused all of these manifestations of evil to happen in life. So we can't see the spirits there. We don't see in the supernatural realm. So a lot of times people think that, well, this event must be God because if it wasn't his will for it to happen, it wouldn't happen. No, there's a lot of things that happen that aren't God's will every, each and every single day. Right? A lot of things that happen are man's will or the devil's will. That's why the Bible says that Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, thy will be done. Why would Jesus pray for your will to be done here on earth even as it is in heaven? Because it's not automatically done on earth. If it was, you wouldn't have to pray. Remember the Bible says you have not because you ask not. And so another uh series of events you can look at like this. Maybe it's not what you have, but maybe it's just the circumstances that you're in creates that sense of discontentment. Now, in Philippians chapter 4, he goes into more of this. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. That would have to be 
the floating in the night and the day in the deep, the coming out of the situation where you received 39 lashes, all of these things, he knew how to be content in all situations. He said, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Well, if God is giving strength, obviously he's not the one taking it away. Right? The Bible says the thief, in John 10.10, comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The Bible says in the book of James that every good and every perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variance, neither shadow of turning. So that means if God is responsible for the things that he's rescuing you from, there is shadow of turning. There's no shadows with God. Shadows indicates darkness, indicates an inability to see all of the details. That's why it says we see through a glass dimly or darkly. We don't see the details. That's why Jesus came to reveal the Father because a lot of the things and, and the things that he said, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Even Philip didn't understand that right before Jesus went to the cross. He says, have I been with you for such, for such a long time and you still do not know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. But, you know, people just liken everything that happens to God. I believe, and this is just my opinion, so I could be wrong, but I'm just going to throw this out there for you. The reason why you don't see the great explanations about the devil in the Old Testament, we only see a shadow of what's happening in the spirit realm, is because had the people known that there was an enemy spirit out there, what would they have done? They would have tried to make peace with him. I believe they would have tried to appease him. A classic example of that is people making sacrifices to demons, making offerings. Why? Because they want those spirits to be pleased with them. And you know what happens when you make a deal with the devil? You don't come out on top. So instead, I believe that God positioned himself where he said, in essence, if you're going to fear anybody, fear God. Right? Think about that. Because with God, you're not going to suffer a loss. You come to God as you are. You come to God broken, wanting, in lack, sick, diseased, having made wrong choices in life, and you can be completely fixed and transformed into a new person. You come to the devil and you're not going to get any of that you're going to wind up even worse than you started out. Yeah, for a season. But what is the, the penalty? What is the wages of sin? In the end, it's death. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, here's the thing about contentment. The contentment is based on God not leaving or forsaking you. So if I'm using something in my home that's broken, but I'm, it's getting the job done, and let's say I know, let, let me give you a real life example. So I'm living in an older home right now that was built back in the 50s, and it has plumbing that goes underneath it. 
And in the back of my mind, the thought came because a plumber came recently and I forgot how much, how far they had to run the cable under the house, but to clear a clog out. They went onto the roof and down. I forgot how far it was, but it was kind of like, he was really surprised they had to go that far to, to reach the clog. So there was this situation, and I remember thinking, you know, I've heard of pipes collapsing before. How much would it cost? And I recently heard somebody say they spent like $23,000 because of the pipe that went, I guess, out from the street into the house had collapsed and caused all these problems. They had to like dig the whole ground up and then under the house, and it was just a nightmare. And I remember thinking, okay, so what would I do if that happened? I don't have the resources right now. If that happened to me today, I don't have the resources now to fix that problem. I would have to borrow the money. And as I say that, there's like a sense of discontentment growing based on what I have. And I would think to myself, well, if I had more in the bank then it wouldn't bother me if the roof needed to be replaced or the car needed to be replaced or my clothes needed to be replaced or the house needed to be replaced or something else needed to be replaced. There would be n nothing would bother me in that, from that position because all I would have to do is reach into this res reservoir of money that could replace all of that and then some and the problem solved so it's not really a problem. It's, it's kind of like, let me just uh, put this in a very simple way that anybody could understand, okay? You're drinking from a cup. The cup falls and breaks. What are you going to do? Well, you just get another cup. What happens if you don't have any other cups? Well, then you go and buy one. You can see how easy or how difficult the Bible says it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It says it's easier for an a, a camel to go through the eye of the needle. Let me just tell you a little side story on that. The uh, eye of the needle back in the old days was a... Remember when you said those big gates and drawbridges that would, would open, they would close it at night and the city would be walled? But down below there would be like a little narrow car door through the wall and people would travel with camels in those days and all your everything would be on the camel's back and so if they came to this door which was known as the eye of the needle the camel would actually have to get down on its knees and somebody would have to pull it through this narrow confining corridor to get through inside the city so it's difficult for the camel to pass through the eye of the needle. It's not talking about a sewing needle. The eye of the needle was that opening in the, in the thick wall gate. So you can see why it's difficult then for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven is because all of his power is in his wealth. And so he doesn't have to look to God the way the poor man does. The poor man doesn't have the gold and so if you don't have the gold, you don't have the means. And if you don't have the means, you don't have the food and the clothes and all of these other things. But what you do have is faith. What did the Bible say? That God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. So keep your free lives free from the love of money. 
Because for to the natural man, money means you don't have to worry. Money answers all things. But you know, it doesn't answer them as good as God can. Right? The surgeon cutting into your body can't fix you as well as God can. God can fix you and not leave any marks, not have anything missing from your body. The Bible says, The blessing of the Lord maketh rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. You know, some of, some of the people gotten rich by basically giving their lives into their work. They've lost their families in the meantime, lost wives, lost children, become estranged. Then they reach the end of the line, and they're broke, poor, inside, poor in their life experience, but they have a lot of money. So keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, because God's not going to leave you or forsake you. You know, you're a human being. There's certain things that you want. Think about that. Think about how your own children are. Or if you don't have children, the children that you know of. Think about how they are. They want something so bad. And you as an adult, you already know that, you know what, they're going to like that for about six months, maybe. Then they probably never look at it again. Or maybe even if they do have a toy, a favorite toy or a favorite doll, its, it's relevance is only going to last X amount of years, and then it's going to go on in bed and not be seen again until the day they get married or, you know, something like that. It's just the way life, half the things that we do, it's just the way life is. It are frivolous. Half the things we like are frivolous. They're just little experiences. But we think that God does not identify that part of us and, and isn't willing to give us things just purely for our enjoyment. And, and that's, that's absolutely false. Matter of fact, let me read you this scripture verse from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 verse number six, it says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So in the realm of the Spirit, I don't understand exactly how it works. doesn't matter. I just believe it. God has seated us with Christ in the heavenly places in order, or so that, in the coming ages, he might display the surpassing riches of his grace demonstrated by his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Think of a kind person. Think of, a, think of an older person and how kind they are to children. You know, the Bible says that we can become as little children, and God, I believe, wants to treat us like his own children in, in so far that he smiles when we're amazed and awed over the things he's created. There's joy in his heart when we leap with excitement because he's blessed us with something. Even if it's just a temporal thing because our lives are just like a vapor, the Bible says. We're here one moment and then the next moment we're gone. And so we are made in his image and his likeness. So take all of the good things that you see in a person and those attributes are a mirror of what God is like. God made us in his own image. Take all of the evil things out. Again, the Bible says that God is love. So you know what love is and what it, what it isn't. There's no such thing as um, a love that we can't grasp, at least the very basics of it in our heart. Right? Somebody, somebody hurting somebody else, that's, that's not love. 
Now, I'm not trying to get into debate about judgment or anything like that because God is, is righteous. But part of that righteousness extends into the area where he understands that we're in Christ. He sees that we're in Christ. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We can confess our sins. Right? Somebody says, well, yeah, but if you keep doing it. Well, here's the thing. God doesn't want you to keep doing it because if you keep doing it, then you just become enslaved by it. And when you're enslaved by anything, you, you loathe that thing. Right? You may enjoy it for a moment, but it leaves you with a, a, a loathing type of feeling after a while. Right? If you're, you're addicted to sweets or sugar, if I told you, hey, all you have to do is swallow this green pill and that addiction will be gone, you would probably take it in a second. Right? Or before you're, that other part of your mind, the, the natural man, could talk you out of it. But anyway, we, I started out this talk talking about contentment. And you just have to learn that there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing you're experiencing that other people aren't experiencing also. There is a great lack of contentment today. A lot of it is based on money. Because you're worried that when the rubber hits the road, that what if God isn't there for you? What if there's something that you have to do that you're not doing? And I know this because all, all of my life and the life of all the other people that I know have, has revolved around the same, all the same basic tests and trials. We're all tested in, in similar ways. For some, it's a greater test than others. I don't worry, per se, like um, with every dime that I spend or so, anything like that, but I know there's people like that. There's people that, that count, go, wake up counting every dime and go to bed counting every dime, and that's bondage. There's a lot of people discontent because they're driving older cars, and they see people driving newer cars. And basically, with that... When you get right down to it, the discontentment is that it costs money to fix. And what happens if it breaks completely and they don't have money to replace that transportation or issues with housing or issues with the job or issues with insurances? I mean, that could go on and on and on. But I've learned, and let me, let me finish with this, that... I think every problem I've ever faced in my own life could be summed up and fit into the story where Peter walked on the water towards Jesus. And as he was walking on the water, it says that he started to look at the wind, he started to focus on the waves, and he became afraid. And when he became afraid, he started to sink. I can look at every situation that I faced in my lifetime and realize that when I started to look at the situation, when I started to do 2 plus 2 equals 4, when I took my eyes off of God, off of Jesus, off of what the Bible says, when I took my focus off of that and put it onto what was, I was experiencing, it felt like I was sinking. In certain cases, I was sinking. Not literally, but within the circumstance or the situation. 
And so I just encourage you, what did Jesus do? He recognized that Peter was sinking, and he reached out and he grabbed him. He didn't let him drown. He didn't let Peter go under the water, and as the bubbles were coming up, Peter didn't hear Jesus hollering, according to your faith, be it done unto you. (laughs) Right? It didn't happen that way. Jesus reached down. So regardless of what you understand or what you don't understand, regardless of where you are in your walk, your spiritual growth, wherever you happen to find yourself today, let me just encourage you with this. I'm going to let you interpret this as you will because it's your life, it's your situation, it's, it's your walk, it's your path. Whatever it takes, get your eyes back on Jesus. Now I might say, well, get your eyes back on God, but Jesus said the only way to God is through him. So get your eyes back on Jesus, get your eyes back on God, whatever it takes to do that. Whether it's something you do, something you say, a combination, whether it's different every day, or it varies from time to time, whatever it takes now, today. Maybe it'll be something different tomorrow, but whatever it takes today, get your eyes off the wind, get your eyes off the waves, get your eyes off of of the storm that's around you, and start walking towards Jesus. Because as long as you're focused on him, you won't drown. It's as simple as that. As long as you're focused on him, you will not be overcome with discontentment. Yeah, you're still human, which means there will be times when you look away from him and you look at the wind and the waves. You feel the wet rain pounding against your face. You hear the sound of the wind, maybe so loud that you can't even hear what the people around you are saying. And you realize suddenly that you're starting to sink, that the miracle is starting to undo itself, that the power of God is starting appears to be weakening in your situation. Get your eyes off the wind, off the waves, off the water. Get it back on God. Start looking at Jesus, whatever that means to you. Because if I tell you what that actually means to me, maybe it means different to you. I know some people, they're music people, and their way of getting their eyes on Jesus, the initial steps is, is to sing or to praise or to give thanks. I know there's a lot of word people where the first thing they want to do is get in to find a chapter and verse, a scripture verse. I know there's people that use a combination of those things. I know other people that just confess, make a confession and get their heart clean. And again, it may be different things on different days. There doesn't have to be a formula. If there is a formula, I mean, think about it. Is there a formula for talking to your husband or wife? Is there a formula for talking to your kids? Is there a formula for talking to your boss? Maybe there has to be if there's a poor relationship there. But if it's a real, living, vital connection, then it can be different every day. All right. That's all for now. I I know I'm happier now than when I first started. So, there you go. All right, this is Jim. Again, visit the main website if you haven't been there, www.faithtestedbyfire.com. Sign up there for the update list. Every time a new podcast is released, I will send you a link to your inbox. This is Jim. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. God bless you.